good to see you all. Welcome to worship here at First Pentecostal Church. My name is Mike Skinner. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and we are more than thrilled that you have joined us. Um, I want to thank Jake Milwee for stepping in for me last week in preaching. Jake, uh, if you were here, did an excellent job. He's in the back right now working with the children. His service never stops for the church, uh, and so just want to publicly thank him for being able to step in for me. Um, but I'm glad to be back. If you'll remember, um, right before last week, we had started a series on community. Uh, it's called Deep Community in a Shallow World. And this is actually one of our goals for this six-month period of time. Um, we started it in January, February, and, and we're going to push uh, and hopefully have everything set up that we would like it to be, at least for the immediate time being, in July, um, in terms of community, in terms of being able to offer a community uh, and being able to clearly invite people into community um, at First Colony Christian Church. Um, one of the things we've always heard is that we love the community at FC Cubed from people who have come. Um, but we've started to hear as we've grown a little bit. If you've been here for five or six years, you can look around and we've got a little bit more people. Um, is that it was easier for community to organically form when there were 40 of us. Um, now, across two services, there's 70, 80 of us. And so we have more people in different stages of life with different time commitments and things like that. And so we're taking a hard look at, at the church's leadership, and, and we want to invite you into the conversation as well, into how can we make sure that community remains one of the things that we do well? Um, how can we keep this family feel to our church? And so just as a reminder, we started last week by introducing a, a, a theory that's been very powerful in my mind, um, which is that there are four types of places, four spaces where people belong, where people find a sense of connection with other people and a sense of community. Okay, and, and so we use this as kind of a prop. Um, say that I'm standing right here. Okay, um, there's four spaces. The first one would be intimate space, which is about zero to eighteen inches away. And someone came up and stood in this red space, we'd be nose to nose, and they'd be able to smell me, I put on cologne today, and brush my teeth, it's a good day, <laughs> I'd be able to smell them, okay, it's very intimate, and intimate space is usually reserved for spouses, um, maybe for a best friend, intimate space is best expressed by that phrase, naked and unashamed, right, you've seen all there is to me, and, and yet I'm still not worried about what you think, um, which I think is natural and just hopefully in a husband and wife um, in a spousal situation and then sometimes occurs in a best best friend situation although hopefully not literally um, but maybe emotionally naked and unashamed and then you can open it up a little bit and you get what's called personal space um, and so this is friends right the blue space um, you're close enough to me, we're giving handshakes, we're doing a man hug, those kinds of things. In the personal space, we're, we're pretty close friends, right? And we're sharing information about each other, um, those kinds of things. You've got social space, which goes to the end of the log. Um, this is when we're just playing games, right? This is the small talk of relationships. Um, I'm not necessarily committed to you, but we're learning things about each other in a fun, kind of relaxed environment. And then public space is way past the board, right? This is where there's lots of space between us. Um, and we're not necessarily connected to each other. And um, what we've found and what researchers have found is that churches tend to do this. They, they focus on two types of spaces. 
the public space where people come because of something other than other people. So Sunday morning is a public space. There's a service, right? There's music being played. There's something that draws people to this place. Um, you can come to this place, even a church this small, and not know anyone's name for six months. Um, you might think that's impossible. I've seen it happen. Um, you can come to the first service or the second service for over years and not know that someone else comes to the same church as you. In a church this small, I mean, it wasn't too long ago that I had a, a guy meet uh, another person and they were talking and a church came up and they figured out they both went to FC Cubed. But they just never seen each other because one went to the early service, one went to the second service. And, you know, it had to make me chuckle. I'm like, we're not at 100 people. And <laughs> for years, y'all have gone to the same church without realizing it. And I guess I have to laugh not to cry. Um, but it's possible, right? You, you miss each other in the services. And then churches usually focus and pour a lot of resources into this personal and intimate space. Um, and we have small groups and times of intense sharing, right? Where, where we allow lots of healing to occur that way. And we confess our sins and we grow very close relationships. Um, and, and what I suggested and what we'll explore is that, in fact, true, real, significant community happens in each space. And as we all know, there's nothing worse than someone invading your space. Or someone pushing you to be intimate when you want to be social. Or when you want to be public, right? And just imagine the person who is always invading your space, or the salesman um, at a store, right? And you're like, I'm trying to communicate to you that I do not need your assistance. Um, but you're standing right next to me, looking over at me at what I'm looking at, right? Um, you're in the wrong space here. Um, everyone knows, hopefully, the feeling of someone trying to force you into intimate space with people you don't want to be intimate with, Right? I don't want to share things with you right now. I'd rather prefer to be in social or public space with you. Um, and so what we're doing in this series is we're going to go, we'll combine intimate and personal together, and over the next three weeks, we're going to look at how can the church, how can we, FC Cube, foster community in public spaces? And how can we foster community in social spaces? And how can we foster community in these more personal spaces? Um, and how can we do it in a way where we don't say that one's better than the other? Because real community happens in all three, in all four of these spaces. Real belonging happens in these spaces. And I can give you story after story after story of examples where people who have only belonged publicly find the church and other institutions to be very significant to them, very life-changing to them. Um, and if we had, or that organization had, shoved them into the intimate or personal said that's the only real community they probably would have been uncomfortable left and never had that life change right so the goal is i think for us um to be able to foster community in all of these spaces um and so not only have i been thinking about this but i want to invite everybody to think about it with me okay we've been talking over the last few months with lots of you and want to still hear your ideas and your thoughts and those kinds of things um I have an app on my phone called TimeHop, and what it does is every day it takes pictures and things you put on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all those things, and anything you got via text or something like that, and it shows you what you were seeing on your phone or putting on the internet exactly a year ago each day. 
And apparently I've been on the internet for nine years because it usually goes back about nine years for me. Um, and I've matured a lot in nine years. <laughs> I see the stuff I put on Facebook nine years ago and I'm a little embarrassed for myself, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, I've matured a little bit. I have some more dignity for myself. Um, and this last Sunday, um, while I wasn't here with you guys, I was, um, I didn't skip to check my time hop, but I was looking at time hop on a, on at some point during the day, and I saw that it was the exact day, a year ago, when I got my puppy. A lot of you know about my puppy. His name is River. He's a little lab mix, cute as can be. And a lot of you know that I'm a kind of a geek and a nerd, and my reaction to things is not what normal people, how they normally react to things. So River was a rescue dog. He was found in a brothel that was shut down by the FBI when he was just a few weeks old. And, and so I adopted him, and he got immediately into a much better living space, I hope. Um, I can definitely say there was less sex and drugs happening around him than there were before. And because I was getting a dog, and, and a lot of you know this about me, anything I'm about to do, I want to be an expert at. And I want to know everything that there is to know. Um, and so I actually, kind of embarrassingly, took a course online at Harvard on dog cognition and psychology. Um, and I didn't get like a degree from Harvard, okay? I do have a certificate saying I completed the course, and maybe more embarrassingly, I did get an A. Did pretty well. Um, so I have no degree from Harvard. I do tell everyone that I'm Harvard educated. Um, <laughs> And it was fascinating to me, right, to learn all about these different theories and to learn about the history of how people have thought through dogs and dog behavior and how dogs think and how their minds work and those kinds of things. It's helped me a lot with River and training it. And uh, you can ask my wife, and just about once a month I'm reading a new book on dogs, um, uh, whether it's a specific training book or whether it's you know just another kind of philosophical book on dogs or the relationship between people and animals and that kind of thing. And I was actually reading one um, just the other day, this week, and it was going into the relationship, the community that dogs have with their owners. And it was very interesting because it was very similar to what I've been reading about how humans relate to one another. Um, and the idea was, you know, training a dog has gone through lots of stages. The first stage was mechanical, which is if you provide a, a stimulus, you get a response, right? So ring the bell, and the dog goes to get the food. And then quickly they moved on to notice you can train dogs to do more than that if you motivate them. If they have a reason to go and do something. Unfortunately, for the longest time, it was negative motivation. So it was if you hurt the dog, he'll soon find out that he'd rather go do what you wanted him to do than be hurt. But that kind of ruins the relationship between you and the dog, right? He wants a fearful dog who doesn't like you, but who will do whatever you tell him to do. And it's moved, luckily, into more positive, motivational. Um, and that's what you find, really, in the world today. This author was arguing that you should build on all of that, but take it even more to the relational aspect. Um, what's the relationship between you and your dog? Um, and, and is it good and healthy in lots of different spaces? And I started thinking, that's, that's weird. And she was like, you can tell a lot about a person by how their dog acts in public with them. And you can tell a lot about a person and their dog by how their dog acts in intimate or personal spaces, right? I'm thinking about my puppy River. So 
he's a uh, he's he's not great publicly, right? He's sweet as can be. Everyone's his best friend. He's not aggressive at all. But he tugs on his leash, right? And he just wants to chase after everything. You would think that cats and birds and squirrels would be more defensive than they are, but he has caught one of all three of them. Um, and, you know, I can't help but say it's you, kind of your fault at this point, right? You should have jet as soon as you saw him coming. Instead of trying to be cute and looking at him and underestimating the speed or intensity that he had in trying to capture you. Um, but this is River, my dog, when he's out in public, okay? Now, in a social setting with my wife and other dogs, River's very attentive to me. We're together. We have a close relationship. In personal and intimate settings, when he's close to me, I know exactly what he's thinking. And he knows exactly what I'm thinking. We can communicate through eye contact. I mean, I can see in his eyes, I want to jump on the counter and get that food. And you can see in my eyes, if you do that, you'll be in trouble. And he'll just walk back over and lay by me into a bone. Right? Um, and so the task for me, what I'm reading this book and trying to do is, right, work on our public relationship. How can he be attentive to me, right, when we're in public and there's all these distractions and and she was mentioning, you know, one of the things trainers do a lot of times if it's a dog is pulling and not paying attention to each other in public, um, one of the methods that has been used a lot is to jerk the leash so violently that they get thrown off their feet. Um, and eventually they learn that I better pay attention to my owner or at any moment I'll be violently jerked off my feet. Again, though, maybe not the relationship you want to have with your dog. This kind of negative reinforcement relationship. And you can train a dog very easily to be outside and to always look at you. Um, but just like human beings, I can look at you and make it seem like I'm focusing on you while I'm really wiggling each of my toes right now and wondering what it feels like. <laughs> right? And dogs can look at you while they're still not thinking about you. And they're hearing and smelling all kinds of things in the world around you. The task is how do you get them to really still be attentive in a positive relationship in public? And I'm thinking through my dog, River, again. When he's outside, right, um, it's not that he's disobeying me. He doesn't actually hear me. I'm not actually existing to him, right? Because he's so focused and consumed by all these other stimuli. And just like you wouldn't get mad at someone who had hearing problems because they were ignoring you, right? She's, she's arguing you shouldn't get mad at the dog, right? You should try to get his attention like you would any polite human being. Um, and slowly work on that as long as you need to. You know, my dog clearly communicates when he needs to go outside, but sometimes I don't listen to that. He goes and walks around by the door, kind of sits over there for a little bit. Sometimes I'm watching TV or doing something else, though. And after an hour or two of him trying to get my attention, he has an accident. I don't want to get mad at him for having an accident, right? That's my fault. I look at him and go, look, it's my bed. In hindsight, yeah, you were trying to go outside two hours I just wasn't paying attention. I mean, how confusing would it be if I asked someone over and over and over again, I need to go to the bathroom, I need to go to the bathroom, I need to go to the bathroom, and then I eventually went on myself and they started hitting me for going on myself. And it's like, I've been trying to do what you wanted me to do. I know you didn't want me to go here, but you weren't, you weren't listening to me. Right? Relationships take work. Um, and they happen sometimes spontaneity, um, spontaneously, and, and, and sometimes... 
Um, relationships ebb and flow. You have community, and then maybe you don't have it as well as you'd like it, and then you have it again. There's no magic formula. Um, just like with dogs, there's no magic formula. Um, so it is, I think, with human community. Um, human community is always spontaneous and organic. There's no magic formula. You can't throw people in a room and lock the door and expect them to be best friends. You maybe can do that and expect them to start attacking one another eventually. Um, but there's no magic formula. What works for one group might not work for another group, right? Um, I don't know if anyone knows anything about slime mold, um, but a theory of, of sociology of how humans interact has emerged from it. It's called the emergence theory. Um, slime mold, um, for most of its life, exists while it's next to each other as individual organisms. They, they have their own thinking and doing, and they, they, they do different things, right? They, they move in different directions, that kind of thing. But in the right environment, they actually become one organism for a series of time. And so there's this life cycle, the slime mold, of going from being it to being they, to being it to being they. And the difference is always the environments. It's about the food that's available. It's about the weather that's around them, those kinds of things. And here's, I think, the task for the church. It's not to create a formula where we can put someone in one place and always 100% expect community to happen. It's, it's can we say we're being faithful and offering the right environment? Where in this environment, we're doing everything that we can for human beings to connect to each other and find significant community uh, among one another. And so let's talk about public spaces, okay? What, what can we do? What happens in a public space where we can foster significant connection? Um, public spaces in our setting would be similar to what's happening right now. This is a public space. At any given day, I have no idea who will walk through that door, and neither do you. Um, all are invited. All are welcome. Um, and... Theoretically, as a church leader, as a pastor, I want everyone to feel like they belong. You belong, not because I know you or I know your history or background, but because you're here. And we're going to share an experience together. And I want you to feel comfortable and feel like you belong. Um, and so anytime the church gets together to worship and pray or share announcements or things of that nature, um, this is a, a public space of belonging. But there are some things you can and can't do in public spaces. There are things that you can do that foster an environment of community in public spaces, and things you can do that will instantly kill any sense of belonging in public spaces. Um, before we get to that, if you'll open up your Bibles, let me show you a couple verses here. If you'll go to Psalm 22 with me, God's people, the church, his children have always gathered in public spaces. Um, and he's always given instructions for how that gathering should take place. And so it's always been an important part of what it means to belong to God and to the community. In Psalm 22, verse 22, um, you see the psalmist telling after a victory God gives him, I will tell of your name to my brothers, and in the midst of the congregation I will praise you. I'll tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, when we're all gathered together, I'll give a testimony. I'll tell other people about who you are and what you've done. 
God uh, instructed the Israelites to build a temple. We know that they gathered there often for worship. Later on, they would gather in synagogues. Most of the Psalms can be read individualistically. It says, praise the Lord. But we know historically these were songs sung by a group of people when they were together in a public space um, worshiping. Now, in public spaces, remember, we don't necessarily know everybody. Um, Just like at the mall or just like at a sporting event, right? You're there for something else. You don't know everyone's name. You're probably not going to get everyone's cell phone number and go out and meet with everybody for coffee at some point in the next month, those kinds of things. You're there uh, to experience something together. And we see that in the Old Testament. If you'll flip with me quickly to Hebrews chapter 10, one of my favorite verses uh, and part of my favorite passage, part of my favorite book. It's page 1007 in the back hardbacks uh, around us. Um, Psalm, uh, I mean, Hebrews chapter 10, if you look in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Verse 25. Let us not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but let's encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. Um, let's continue to meet as a church together in public spaces to worship and to encourage one another. Um, you might not be familiar with this, but there's an ancient text called the Didache. Um, Didache in Greek means the teaching, okay? Um, most scholars say it comes from the first century, um, which means it's part of a, a text group dated back as far as our Bible. And it involves lots of instructions, teachings about how Christians should behave and act, primarily in public space. And so it gives instructions on baptism. It gives instructions on the Eucharist, taking communion. And the Didache has this in there, a quote, On the Lord's Day, which would be Sunday, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanks. And a lot like Jesus, it adds, First, though, confess your sins, that your sacrifices might be pure. If you have a problem with a brother, be reconciled so that your worship will be unhindered. But even from the first century, Christians... And the scriptures, and and even outside of the scriptures, historically are saying, let's make sure we keep these public gatherings. We keep these public gatherings, that we meet together. Um, And as a church, when we think about community, what we want to do is we want to form deep community at every level, including public space. There's a lot of churches and a lot of places you can go in public where you will not find community being fostered. Or you'll find a very shallow version of community being fostered. And that's not what we want here at FCQ. Um, For instance, this used to be a pretty common practice. If you were a visitor with a church, um, churches often, sometimes, and and it was much more common in the past, would say, hey, anyone who's visiting with us today, if you're not on our membership role, why don't you go ahead and stand up right now? Please don't do this. Um, I'm giving a bad example. (laughs) And people would stand up. And if I was a visitor, I would not stand. Um, but they'd stand and they'd go around and say, introduce yourself. And I'm thinking, this is the most horrific thing you could make a, a visitor experience, right? Now, I actually know people personally who like that. Who, if they were a visitor, would enjoy that type of attention and that type of welcome. Um, but as church uh, leaders' um, books have been written, we've found out more people than not do not enjoy that, Right? 
Um, and, you know, it might be better in a big church setting where maybe there's 100 people who stand up and there's not time or space or mics or anything to go around and introduce yourself. Um, maybe it's just so they can hand you a gift or something like that. Um, but unfortunately, this practice has always been more popular in small churches. I mean, this is just really unfortunate, I feel like. I would cringe and die if I were asked to do that. Um, and, you know, our, second, our first service is a little bit smaller than our second service. And I was joking, our first service, right? A visitor comes to our first service, they know that they're the visitor. <laughs> they're the guest. And a visitor, a guest who comes to our first service, everybody else knows that they're the visitor or the guest, right? Um, it's already an awkward situation. We're fighting uphill um, from this small situation. So we don't want to make it seem less like a place where you can belong and you can feel comfortable and you can fit right in with everybody else. Um, here are things you can do to guarantee that you will not invite people to belong in a public space. Um, if you communicate to them that they don't belong, if you tell them you do not belong, you're not one of us. Now this seems obvious, right? Why would anyone do that? But churches actually do this I'm sure I've done this in lots of very subtle ways. Um, one of the ways, and I've done this in the past, is when the offering plate has gone around um, to put tithes and gifts and offerings, um, at times I've said, if you're a guest with us, don't feel the need to contribute. And I've disinvited people from participating in the service. Um, and it was good intentioned, right? I didn't want people to feel like we were after their money. We are not after your money. Um, and by the way, we take checks every day of the week. Um, <laughs> but what that communicates to some people, right, is that, by the way, this part of the service is only for the people we know. And immediately, there's a part of service that if you would like to participate in, we're telling you we'd rather you not participate in. Um, that could be very off-putting to someone who thinks, I'm at a church and I feel the need to offer, even if it's a couple of dollars, put it in the offering plate. But now you told me that maybe I guess I'm not at a place where I can participate with you in that. Um, this is one small way I know I have <laughs> in the past. I've kind of disinvited, accidentally, people from participating in what we're doing as a public community. Um, one of the big ways that churches do this is by using insider information, insider language, or insider practices. Um, so we use terms that only you would know if you'd gone to the church for a long time. Uh, or we do things that you'd only know how to do if you've gone to the church for a long time. So a few years ago, we got rid of the Lord's Prayer in second service. Um, when I took over as pastor of the church, this is a staple of all the services, we'd say the Lord's Prayer together. Um, and what we heard as the second service was growing pretty, uh, pretty quickly was people felt that was the most awkward part of the service. There's a lot of people not used to church, and a lot of people who even go to church for a long time don't know the Lord's Prayer. Or you might be aware there's lots of versions of the Lord's Prayer out there. And it's really awkward to say the wrong version when everyone else says a different version because they're on the inside. And all of a sudden, you feel like you don't belong. Recently, though, I'm thinking, and I'm talking, and I'm like, the Lord's further, I think that should be part of service. 
what is service if it's not the Lord's Prayer together at some point? And so I come up with a solution, right? You can use insider language and have insider practices as long as you make it easy for anyone to participate. So I said, hey, why don't we just throw the words up on the wall? And it took me five years to think of this brilliant solution. <laughs> and so now we have the Lord's Prayer again at the end of the service. And if you want to participate, but you don't know our version, you want to just be sure. And I, I, I see some of you have been here for a long time, still looking, and that's fine. <laughs> that's what it's there for, right? We want you to be able to participate and go on, even if it's your first time. We're glad that you're here. You don't have to, but if you want to, this is the thing we do. We say the Lord's Prayer. And these are the words we use. Um, you can follow along and participate easily if you'd like to. Um, Starbucks is a great example of this. Um, Starbucks uh, was told repeatedly that they could not grow if they kept using their insider language. Grande. Minty. Tall. Which is oddly normal. Um, and their smallest one, right? I think it's the smallest one. So I still don't really know the terminology of Starbucks. I'm like a medium, please. Not the really small one, but not the really big one. Um, but they, uh, they kept with it. And they did their best, right? To make sure that someone could learn pretty easily. And if you talk to the baristas, most of the baristas are supposed to be trained to very nicely inform you about what the sizes are, right? And so it's not that they want to make you feel like an outsider. It's that they want to help you feel like an insider. Right? This is the language we use. This is our code. Um, you go to your favorite Mexican restaurant, and they have ten types of spicy sauces. And there's the white tornado and the fiery redhead and all kinds of things, right? And what you'll notice is beside them on the menu is a description. And so someone who goes there as their you know, watering spot could just say, you know, I want this. But someone who goes there and doesn't know the words can go and still use that terminology, right? They, there's an easy pathway to come in. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge opponent of making church so unchurch-like that it's comfortable for everyone. Church, I think, is for believers and should have an insider feel to it. Not in an exclusive way, but in a, we're doing Christian things here in a Christian way. Um, because I grew up in an era, and it still exists in some churches around us, where on Sunday morning, the last thing you would think about a service is that this is very church-like. Right? This seems like any other thing I would go to. Um, and instead, it's on Wednesday night that they have communion. And it's on Thursday night that they teach you spiritual disciplines, and, or, or go in depth in the Bible. Right? They hold off certain resources for certain spaces. And instead, what, what the church is called to do is, no, give resources in all the spaces, but particularly in the public space, just make sure that they're not too exclusive, that people have a way to understand them um, and experience them and participate with them in a significant way. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of competencies, skills people have to have in certain spaces. Some people are way better at public spaces than they are at personal spaces. Um, I'm an introvert by heart. Uh, I'm not great in public and social spaces. Um, I'm better in personal spaces. You know, I'm a pretty good friend to people I know really well, but 
comes to small talk and, and meeting new people, you know, that's just not my forte. Like, I, I just can't go out um, into the middle of a restaurant and start making friends. Um, I don't think Bowers has ever entered a room where he doesn't leave with everyone being his best friend. <laughs> um, my wife couldn't accompany me to a wedding once, and I knew no one at this wedding, and so I didn't care that I was bringing a guy with me. And I was like, Bowers, you want to come? You know, it's free food and drinks and a lot of fun. It's a wedding. And he was like, yeah, I'll come. And sure enough, um, at the end of the rehearsal dinner, everyone loved Bowers. You know, he had taken this show away from the people getting married. <laughs> and they themselves did not mind, right? Because they loved Bowers. <laughs> and unfortunately, he couldn't come to the actual ceremony the next day. And... We're there, and the only question I get asked is, hey, where's your friend? Where's Bowers? Where's Bowers? Where's Bowers? And he has good skills in those spaces. Um, so public skills. You have to be able to share common experiences with people um, without trying to push them closer. How awkward would it be if you're sharing a moment at a sports game? That's a very public space. You're fighting people. You feel like you're a group, right? You're all cheering on the same team. And at the end of it, you don't let anyone go until you have their cell phone numbers and addresses. <laughs> They'd all be like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is a public space. Now, we did belong together, right? But now that's over for the time being. Um, it's going to take a few more public space meetings for I'm going to be open to that kind of a thing. Um, we have to uh, develop skills to welcome strangers as belongers. There's a huge skill for pastors, be able to see someone for the first time and not know their name and not know their background and not know why they're there, but say, you belong here. I'm happy that you're here today to share this experience. And I might not ever see you again. Most guests that come, we don't see it again. And that doesn't change the fact that they belong right now, this Sunday. And I want them to feel like they belong, even if it's only this Sunday. Um, without having to, to go any extra steps or do anything special or, or things of that nature. Um, you have to, uh, you know, be able to develop a presence that conveys that you're comfortable in public space, that you don't mean to harm or exclude anybody around you, right? Um, you have to be comfortable with little or no physical contact. Public space is not the place to get real huggy and touchy. Um, those kinds of things. Um, as a second service, 1045, most of us here go to the 1045 service, I think we can actually improve on our public space skills, on making service itself feel more welcoming for people. Um, so so I'll, make a, I'll make a comparison between second service and first service. In our first service, we've got about 20 people, and they are all very connected to one another. They are all in personal, intimate space. Um, but on a Sunday morning, what will happen is you'll see that occurring with those 20 people, and then you'll see a visitor walk in, and you see it break instantly. And this group like of slime mold that was one, all of a sudden opens. And I've never had a first service visitor one, tell me they felt awkward or overwhelmed, even though everybody acts like they were all expecting that person to be there that day. And like there's nothing more natural than getting to know them. 
Um, what I have seen sometimes in second service, um, and I'm not blaming anyone, you know, if anyone is to fault, it's me. I'm, you know, the, I'm the leader, the book stops with me. Um, but I, I see a lot of people who are really close friends who maybe just don't have the time anymore to be close friends during the week. And so Sunday morning is a time where we are already in a rush with our kids, and then we have 10 minutes before or after service to spill all the beans of our week together. And I actually have seen multiple times someone visiting and a group of people really enjoying themselves while someone stands alone eight feet away. <coughs> and I understand it. I've, I've probably been a part of a group like that before. I'm sure I have, right? Because I have such a relationship with most of you. And most of you I don't get to see for coffee every week and things of that nature. And some of you have a relationship with from eight years ago where we did have that personal space. And it still feels that way even though we only see each other once a week. And I want to dump everything on you and hear everything that you can tell me in ten minutes, right? Before or after service. And people come and they say, and we've gotten this comment verbatim over and over again. I think we mentioned at the end of the series. Um, I see community. I just know how to be in it. I can tell the people there love each other so much. But I don't know what the ladder is to get into the group. You know, the group doesn't always break and open the circle so that I can get in. Um, and I think that's something we can work on. With our deacons, myself, with our hospitality team, and then with um, everybody, right? Trying to trying to make sure everyone feels like they belong here. Um, and and what you'll find, what I've found, is, you know, we often encourage churches grow, everything grows first of all by word of mouth. That's the best way for anything to grow. But once you invite a friend or family member, and they come and experience that you're much less likely to invite another one. You know, I've invited people before. It's been four or five weeks, and I was busy in my office doing pastor stuff before the service, and I walked out, and they were sitting by themselves. And kind of in my heart, I go, I don't really want to invite someone else to experience that, Right? Maybe I'll only invite them when I know that I'll be available to walk them through this or this or that or this or that. Um, and so I, I have to wonder maybe if that's kind of happened to some of us. If we've invited people and they didn't get the full sense like they belonged and it kind of slowed down our desire to invite other people. Um, all of this is a big conversation, right? This is not ingenuine on my part. These are all things I've been thinking about for months. And these are things I want you to think about. And I want to hear from you. I mean, I want you to tell me. What are, what are ways that I maybe, just with my body language, communicate that only certain people belong on Sunday morning? What are the words or things that I do or initiate in the service that indicate that only certain people really belong on a Sunday morning? Um, what stories do you have of a visitor that you've seen get the feeling like they don't really belong on a Sunday morning. Um, and here's the beauty again, right? We don't have to push everyone right away to be in a personal group. 
I know people who just belonged on Sunday mornings, and it's changed their life. And they only know a handful of names. But FC Cubed cannot be more important to them. Now, if we took every single person who walked through the door and said, you're really not anywhere until you're right here, right? We'd probably slowly start to lose people. And we'd never grow by another visitor or guest ever again. People aren't ready for that. Sometimes people want to stay in the public space. And I'm fine, for one, with them being in public space as long as they want. Public space matters. It counts. You can belong in a public space. Um, there are unique advantages to all kinds of spaces. But as a church, what we can't do is hide our resources, which is um, the ability to help people with life problems, particularly relating to spirituality. Right? I think I mentioned this. As a church, I don't want to compete with entertainment. I'm not as funny as Kevin Hart. Uh, and we don't have the production value to put on a concert, and we can't make cute little video clips like movies can and those kinds of things. Um, what, what we can give you, what I think I can give you, that nowhere else can give you, is knowledge about the scriptures and the Bible and ideas about ways to grow closer in a relationship with God and to develop your spiritual life. Um, but what a travesty if I held some of those tools and never showed them except for on a Wednesday night or on a Thursday afternoon. And so on a Sunday morning, someone never could learn how to pray. They didn't know how to pray. If you notice, this morning I did our silent prayer a little bit differently than I normally do, because that's one of the things I've been thinking about. What does it mean to have a moment of private prayer in a public space? What if we had a guest with us who doesn't know how to pray? I don't feel comfortable with silence and prayer. We're telling them we're going to have a moment that we're all familiar with and aware of and comfortable with that you're not really invited to. Not because we don't want you to be. It's not bad intentioned, right? But you just simply don't know how to do that. And so the solution maybe is not getting rid of that time. I like that time. I think most of us like that time. Maybe... Making it clear how you can participate, right? Hey, this is going to be a good time maybe for you to just take some deep breaths and try to clear your mind. Or to ask God to meet with you. Or to think about something that's on your mind and pray that God would help in that situation. And all of a sudden, someone who maybe felt like they wouldn't have belonged for the next two minutes feels like they've been invited to participate if they want to. But there's not one part of our service where they were outsiders and weren't able to belong and, and find a deep connection with the rest of us um, during our service. So the question this morning for public space is this. How can we, and then maybe how are we right now not, um, helping people with their lives and their spiritual journeys and connecting with God where they are? What can we do in public spaces to further help people? Um, how can we communicate and foster an environment where they belong. Again, there's no magic formula, right? Um, my parents don't belong at FCQ. And they'll come three or four times a year, right? 
they don't feel belonging here. And that's okay. You can't, you can't manipulate things like that, right? You can't force relationships. Um, but what I can do and what we can do is make sure that we're not the ones saying you don't belong, right? But if you want to belong, we've done our best to try to make sure that you can belong, even if it's just on Sunday mornings. Um, and then what are ways that we can seek to foster environments, again, not formulas, but environments where people can connect in spontaneous and healthy ways, without feeling pressured, um, without feeling guilty or manipulated, um, but that in a public space, um, more belonging and more connection and more community um, is able to grow because of the environment we've created. Um, so as maybe a little bit of homework, I'd like for you to think about some spaces where you go publicly. Maybe it could be the church where you feel like you belong, even though if you were to think about it, you might not actually know a lot of those people on a personal level. And I can think of a handful of places that aren't church-related, where I feel very much like I belong. Um, even though I know one person, maybe, and they're a public figure, right? There's a doctor I go to that I love going to. Um, and I feel like it's a home away from home. And all I know is the receptionist and the doctor. And both of them are public figures, right? They'd be like the pastor and the youth pastor. Um, I don't know any of the employees. I don't know any of the other patients who are sitting in the waiting room. I feel comfortable there. I belong there. I get significance out of being there. Um, what are those places in your life? Can you think of places like that? Public spaces where you maybe don't have deep, close, you know, share all your secret friendships, but you still feel a sense of connection and belonging? Or have you ever been to a place where it was communicated to you that you didn't belong? And how was that? How did they communicate that to you? And then think through maybe FCQ. What are ways that we have done that? What are ways that we don't do that? What are ways that we can improve on or keep doing um, to make sure that even in our public spaces, community is deep and not shallow, unthought through happenstance. That's something that as a church, we've said, no, we value this. So at every level, even when we get together, and the doors are open for everybody. We've thought through what's happening and how we might help people feel like they belong. Not in a way to manipulate them so they would keep coming or anything like that, but because generally I want them to belong. Even if it's just for a Sunday. Here's what I've learned, and I'll close with this. Um, you know, there's so many stories, some of them I just can't tell. But sometimes... 50 minutes of someone's life can stay with them for the rest of their life. Which is why I take no Sundays for granted. Not with the people I know and love and who I've known as, as people who've come to the church for years and years and years. And not with the people who, who I don't know their name yet. Because I know that sometimes even as random strangers who haven't been introduced... We might not ever see each other again. Because 50 minutes could be important. It could be used in a powerful way. 
And I don't think we can afford as a church, and I can't afford as a pastor, to go much longer without really making sure I'm intentional about how we use times and spaces like this. Um, and I need your help. Most of y'all are smarter than me. And you see things I don't see. And so I uh, appreciate your feedback in that, in that manner. Um, and then I'll, I'll really close with this. You know I'm a preacher because I lie about closing. Um, <laughs> we want people to feel like they belong. We want to let people belong. Because in Christ, God has let us belong. That's the good news, right? We were strangers, and we were enemies, and we were far away, and God closed the gap in Christ and said, you belong to me, and you always have a place with me at my table. You know, when we say the Lord's Prayer, um, you'll notice it starts with our Father. I'd never really paid much attention to that, and I was reading a theologian this week, and he said Christians, even in their closets, should start their prayers with our Father. Even when it's by yourself, because it's not your father, it's our father. There's one church, always. This is why we say our, not my. It wasn't a pronoun mistake on Jesus' part. Even when I'm praying with myself, I say our father. All the other brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. He has done so much. He's done all of it, really, right? I mean, he, we don't have to meet him halfway. We didn't have to pass any, any tests for him to accept us, for us to belong with him. And so it's because of the grace that he's shown us that we want to be a living testimony to that love to other people at every moment of our life together as a church, at every space, at every event, every function. Um, and so it's the joy, I think, of the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us that leads us to want to examine these things and want to make changes even if changes can be hard um, and so this morning rejoice because God in Christ has welcomed you and then if you'd like join me on the journey of wondering out loud how can we help others feel that welcome through our interactions would you pray with me <coughs> Father we thank you for this morning Thank you for all the love that you've given us. Um, I pray that you would uh, continue to bless us as a church, um, maybe in ways that we wouldn't ask for or think necessarily are blessings, but in any way that makes our church and us as individuals more Christ-like, more loving, um, more open to um, sharing the love of Christ with others without conditions. Um, Thank you for uh, my friends and family and brothers and sisters in Christ here. I thank you for um, even perhaps people in the room I don't know very well right now. Uh, I'm glad that I got to spend this time with them. It's a gift from you. And so I thank you for that. And I, I pray that your spirit would continue to lead us more towards your son uh, in every aspect of our lives. And in your son's holy name all of God's people are invited to say together, Amen. Amen.